Hello to all you Trekkie and Trekkers out there, and welcome to another episode of Ship Talking Pod. I'm Brandon, and I'm joined this week by Alex. Alex, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you, Brandon? Very, very good. Um, super happy with the last week. Of course, we've got new Trek coming out. New Lower Trek! Lower Decks, Season 2, Episode 1 is out, although by the time this episode's out, I think the second episode will be out as well. And Well, uh, first episode was great. Oh, it was so, so good. I loved seeing the Miranda class. Yes, the Macduff. Exactly. I lo- the glowy bits, finally, some red Bassard collectors. Yes. It was great to see all the Delta flyers in there, too, yeah. if you look closely. Yeah. I need to go back and actually pause and see all the ships in there. But um, funny enough, if you're actually listening to this episode in in two weeks' time, if, you, if you're looking at the date that this came out. Anyways, the next shuttle scuttle that's going to be coming out is all about the Miranda class. Now, we recorded it before Lower Decks. So we didn't get the chance to talk about that. But uh, stay tuned for that. Um, but yeah, looking forward to season two, all the ship stuff. Uh, Mike McMahon has promised some really cool things. And I'm itching to find out what the Cerritos does, because that's the whole reason, <laughs> like, um, I'm not I don't think Eagle Moss has made it. It's not in Star Trek Online yet. Mike McMahon has said the Cerritos can do something special, and we're going to find out what it is this season. I cannot wait to see what it does. Me either. I love ship gimmicks. <laughs> <laughs> you know me. I'm a major fan of a ship gimmick. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this week we're hosting a roundtable with Bill Krause, James Jacob, and Jeff Folk to talk about the work that they do with modeling physical ships. Their work is absolutely amazing. Now, both Bill and James have been on the show before. Jeff Folk is actually brand new to model making, but you should see his work on Instagram. Absolutely amazing. So when we were thinking of, you know, more roundtables to do, we thought no better than to get the two guests that have been on to talk about it and get Jeff on so we can get, you know, kind of their input on how they go about what they do. And maybe Jeff gets a bit of tips here and there. So looking forward to hearing what they all chat about in just a bit. I'm excited to indoctrinate Jeff into uh, the ship talking family. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What a way to throw him right into a round table. Yes. <laughs> so we'll get to that in a bit. But first, let's, of course, warp over to this week's Community Q segment. For this episode's Community Q, we asked you if you were in charge of the next finale of Lower Decks, what ship from the many worlds and canons of Star Trek would you like to swing in to save the day? I am so glad this one was put forth. Actually, I believe James came up with this one, our community manager. So we have to think about it in this sense, Lower Decks... The year's 2380, so keep that in mind. Um, And the responses kind of fall in line with where the year is, of course. The number one response was the Enterprise E. That's not a surprise. I would love to see that ship, too. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely overdue for its return. We know know the F launched in 2409, so it's still got about 14 years. Although, it's rumored that the E was still around, though, right? When the F was launched? I believe so. Yeah, so... But I love me some Sovereign. Absolutely, sovereigns any any kind of sovereign would be a uh, great actually flying in but of course if it's the enterprise e and it would solve the debate of who actually is the captain right yes i didn't want to say anything about the captain because it's 
kind of up in the air, isn't it? <laughs> it is, right? We got to see what, what they come up with. Um, but the second response was Voyager, which was exciting to see because, you know, Lower Decks is only two years or so after Voyager made its return home. That would be interesting to see how they explore whether Voyager is still flying around after it comes back from the Delta Quadrant. I would like to think so after a little refit, probably. Yeah, probably. Um, obviously came back with some of that technology all embedded. So it'd be interesting to see what they do with it. And of course, who would be captain? I saw a few responses that came in when it mentioned Voyager specifically, like, commanded by Janeway. But um, <laughs> I know in some of the books, like, obviously things happen, but and, and things can get retrofitted when they show up on screen. But, of course, would love to see that ship. Now, we are going to see it in Season 2 of Lower Decks, at least on a plate, right? It's yes. behind Tom Paris's profile. There's a picture of Voyager. So <laughs> it does make an appearance. Even if it's in flatware, I will take it. <laughs> exactly. Um, and the third most submitted response response of course my favorite the prometheus <laughs> yes and you know uh we were just talking about ship gimmicks earlier that would be <laughs> wonderful for you know just thinking of that scene with the titan in season one yes. where it comes in guns blazing i would love to see that multi-vector assault mode that would be so cool yeah and maybe because you know part of the prometheus and the reason why it only had three parts to it in voyager when it was premiered was because of budgetary reasons and rick sternbach was actually on our first episode and he talked about it being able to split into five pieces so oh wow mike mcmahon this is this is your chance show us what the prometheus can do wink wink <laughs> nudge nudge <laughs> uh, i uh i would love to see it fly in but you know tons of ships out there uh so uh excited to see the responses but yep those are our top three definitely an interesting question i was glad to see those responses yeah all right for our next community queue we want to know what your favorite Star Trek ship toy was growing up. So for this one, think about all the ships that we had. Uh, so we had micro machines, model kits, playmates, or maybe, you know, I'm talking about the things <laughs> that we had. Maybe you're not as old as I, and you were actually lucky to experience the Diamond Select era of ships. Uh, but do think about what it was. Let us know, not just maybe the ship itself, but maybe also who made it. And remember, you can send us your answers via email, the submission form on our website, or via Twitter. All right. Well, I think we should go be a fly on the wall and listen into uh, that round table you were talking about earlier. Yes, I'm really excited to listen. <laughs> Let's go. The hobby of model making is, is kind of a dying art. So you almost have to be our age to still be doing it at this point of, uh, of history because it's hard to find kits anymore in stores. And, and uh, I think for us to be a, a model builder um, takes a bit of dedication and maybe some kind of introduction into the hobby from, from somebody or somewhere. Yeah. I think my dad got me into model making. See, so I built like balsa wood airplanes when he was a kid and got me plastic models when he would travel and buy like a model airplane at the airport as a, as a souvenir. So he'd bring back uh, models of 747s or whatever airline he was on. And that kind of got me, I think, building plastic models probably back in the 70s and finding that there were other models other than just aircraft you could buy. Yeah. And finding, you know, of course, Star Trek was a big thing. So that was what I think uh, initially got me into the hobby was 
you know, building airplanes for my for my dad, and then eventually into the science fiction. And because at late the late seventies, when when Star Wars came out, is when everything exploded with mm. buying model kits and, and building things that you saw on TV and in movies. So absolutely, um, yeah. My my first ever model kit was an X-wing um, that I built with my dad. And I must have been oh god, about six or five, I think that sort of age. But yeah, I think it's it's funny you say that because I, I mean, when I was growing up, I, the only person I knew in the world that made models was my cousin. And you know, I think this, this is obviously before the likes of Instagram, obviously, and how we all know each other and YouTube and Facebook and I didn't literally knew nobody else at all at all mm-hmm. and then as YouTube sort of came along you know sort of realized that there are other people and it's it is not a dying art and it's 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 not veiled in the geeky factor you don't almost you know this you might suspect there's some people they might build models but they don't talk about it because they don't want to get their lunch money taken off them by the bullies <laughs> you know but um you know sort of there is a lot of people who do it and i think it's a good hobby and it's you know attention to detail obviously which i know we all strive for but i think it's it's a good especially the last 18 months or so that we've all been through you know being able to take i find it quite therapeutic being able to take your mind off things because you, you i find it very difficult to think of anything else apart from working on the model when i'm doing it if you see what i mean it's mm-hmm. quite a nice sort of stress you almost relief. have to be that yeah laser focused on it in order Absolutely. for it to, to turn out well anyway at least i find no that's that's great i think um so hearkening back to being younger and a star trek fan i i had model kits um my father would try to help me to build these and in hindsight i remember like he would say okay they're finished and i remember looking at them and thinking oh but they're not this isn't anything like what it looks like on the show like it's Mm -hmm. there's no paint there's no you know we barely got the decals on in the right spot so i was very critical of them at a young age now flash forward to covid and working remotely uh you guys you know, can see behind me, um, the home office. And I thought I'm spending so much time in here. I need this to be someplace that I can't, you know, lose my mind in completely. And I think it would look great with, you know, a couple model starships. Let me try to find this. Right. And so I went down the path of trying to find, you know, the model kits. And I thought to myself, geez, I haven't made one of these in 20 years, maybe even longer. Um, and, you got the first one and then of course nowadays what do you do if you can't if you don't know how to do something you go on youtube and james your one of your videos i think it was the melbourne that you built the excelsior class model you had like a step-by-step guide and i thought gosh this this makes it almost easy of course it wasn't but it was enough to you know understand the steps understand what was needed and uh it, that sort of kicked it off and then of course as you know once you build one it's like okay what's the next one i'm, I'm ready for more and especially during COVID, like you said it became sort of this other thing to do besides work and zoom parties with your friends and you know grocery shopping i guess i mean those were the excitement uh, hours that we had so it was it was definitely a nice escape uh during the past uh year or so or even longer right absolutely Mm -hmm. and bill i have to say i mean i've I've been building models for years and obviously you're not content with sort of off the shelf pieces you decide to sort of go that extra level and sort of start with a literal clean piece of plastic i'm sure lots of people would like to know me included because it seems like absolute witchcraft how do you do it (laughs) it's astounding and gorgeous i just thank you yeah yeah, I think I've kind of got out of building models probably when it was younger, and I, had, I built everything from aircraft and and uh, tanks and and planes and I said planes, but uh, cars and you name it, I, I built it, and it was it became just more like more or less building a puzzle, and it's like it, the challenge was gone. And I was watching what was being done by ILM, and they're making and creating their own models with their own designs and using other model kits to, to decorate them to, you know, to greeple them. And uh, that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to d- design my own stuff and then embellish them with, you know, detail parts. And so I was more influenced by stuff with Star Wars 
And I thought, well, I can kind of apply this to Star Trek, mm. where all we've ever seen, have seen, is the Enterprise or you know a couple of ships. And yeah. I thought, well, there's got to be more ships in the fleet than just the Enterprise and the Reliant yeah. and Excelsior. Absolutely, so I thought, right. I can fill these gaps where there's like you know long periods of time where we've not seen ships. You can imagine there's more than just one ship. There's if there's a heavy cruiser, there has to be a light cruiser and a, a regular cruiser and a destroyer. And there's other there's all these other ships that have to be designed. And Franz Joseph did some of that. He kind of filled in some of the blanks when he did this tech manual. I thought, well, that was one way of doing it. It's basically cut and pasting various parts together, but that's kind of uninteresting. So I thought, well, I'll just design something that looks like it could fit the universe, kind of the Andy Probert style or Rick Sternbach or Doug Drexler and, and taking cues from other designers and build something that kind of fits those those eras. And then to me, that's more fun because I've, as a Star Trek fan, starships were always the main thing to me. That yes. they, were, they were the main character yeah. and I wanted to see more of them. I didn't want to see the Enterprise again and again and again. I want to see what other ships are out there. So right. I'm going to just go ahead and build them and I'll crew them with my own people. So um, from that perspective, working back, I think back in high school, when I was building some scratch built stuff from Star Wars. It was a long gap when I, when I got into college and got married and had kids. There was a 25 year gap where I wasn't in the hobby. It's only been the last five or six years that I've been building these models because I've had time to do that. So yeah, I felt all this pent up creativity and things, yeah. and ideas that I've sketched everywhere. It's like, I got to do this. And, so many, and it's coming out. I mean, geez, it's amazing stuff. A lot to catch up with. I love what you say about, because there's, a, for me at least, new to this, there's a practicality and a pragmatism that comes along with it not being the Enterprise or the Reliant or the Excelsior. And that when I make mistakes, I can say, well, this isn't exactly. the Enterprise. This is the frontier or this mm-hmm. is the righteous. So it may have variants. And, and James, I know you know naval history you know very well. There would be ships of the same class, of course, but as they yeah. were launched, they'd make either improvements or subtle changes things each change, one is unique alter it. you got it so Absolutely. that's where for me anyway i do like sort of the custom ones because it gives you a little bit of creative license without completely you know going off the um the, the design but then of course bill you're obviously much further advanced and able to fill those gaps because you're right i mean i look at your designs and you can see i take a look at the registry number and i know exactly where you've placed the time of that ship's sort of era and it mm-hmm. looks the part I mean, and that's just even the names, you know, they're they're appropriate, which I just think is so cool. Like I get a, a, a kick out of that as a kid that was reading like, you know, what was it like the the ship finder or whatever? The, there was like this. It was a black book. I can't remember, but it had all these different designs in it. And I think even Mike Okuda used some of those when doing like the Bozeman changes, like the original it was like the Avenger and not the Reliant. And I remember yeah. like having that book. It was like I can't remember. Yeah, ships, ships of the, the fleet. Starfleet. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I had it. Yeah. My master com data. Yeah. Yeah. I'm friends with them, and they they are they're great guys. That's awesome. They've been a big inspiration for the stuff that I do. Absolutely, yeah. I'm I'm a I'm a, a big big champion of ships other other named Enterprise. You know, I think you know if put your mind in, in their eyes. You know, you you you, you could be you know, working in the imaginary Starfleet and you think, I only ever see the Enterprise in the paper or, or getting mm-hmm. the headlines. Right. What about the work that I do? Imagine doing right. Starfleet and not be able to get the sign to the Enterprise. Like, well, now what? Well, well, what yeah, do you do? I'm going to yeah, be well, in the Bozeman. Okay. Or, you know. Yeah, you, you end up being quite disappointed. <laughs> I but I think, you know, just sort of from a, a model-making point of view, I think um, part of the craft that I like is um, you know, things do go wrong, like you said, Jeff. I think, you know, you can make a blip. And I, I remember well, here, here in England, we don't have many model shops left so i'd say they're all chains they're sort of tucked away in the corner i think i might be the only person in my town that goes to the model shop bit um 
you know, I remember turning a pot of paint round and it was still there the same way many months later. But um, it's sort of the having to work out a problem. I remember trying years ago before Instagram sort of thing, but I, I, I wanted to redo an enterprise, I think it was, and I had a, an old set of decals, um, but I, I couldn't use the name enterprise. I just sort of write, I, something happened to the N and the E or something. <laughs> so it's sort of a bit of an anagram. How, what name can I use? <laughs> yeah. You know, en, enter pup, you know, so it's sort of, it, it, I think... Um, uh, one of the ones I think you might be able to see behind me, but is um, it was at the start of lockdown. It was an old ambassador class enterprise I had, and I thought, oh, I quite fancy building another one of those. I quite like that ship design, um, <clears throat> and I tried to find one. And it was sort of you know eighty pounds on eBay, and I thought that's just ridiculous. I'm not paying that much. Um, and I remembered I had an old one in the loft, <clears throat> so I sort of stripped it back and repainted it and quincied it something else. So I think you know having the you know the tools and the drive to be able to work things through, I think, is quite important, especially if you're getting into the hobby. You know, we've all cut our fingers, I'm sure, and glued your hands together and learned from your mistakes. And I think it's mm-hmm. a, it's a, it's a good thing to do. And it's nice when I, you know, get comments and questions from younger people. You know, it's sort of, it's nice to see them involved in the hobby. Absolutely, I think too. We we have that sort of group of folks that we chat with regularly, James. And what I'm so intrigued by with with some of those gentlemen is that they have children, kids, their own kids that are really involved and interested in model making. And I I like you. I mean, I was the only person that had any interest in this type of thing growing up. And the model there's one model shop I think in Western New York. And same, I go in there and I, they had like a couple Star Trek kits. And when I bought them, the guy was kind of looking at me like, do you? really want these and i'm like yes all of them all of them are coming with me you know so i i understand and can appreciate that and i think too when you're saying using you know the parts of the names think about the the uh, far be it for me to even compare us to the the folks that contribute to the, the actual shows but there's you know a reliant kit that was renamed the trial because they reuse letters and it was screen used on deep space really? nine so it's it's absolutely something that's done uh you know even by the, the folks that contribute to the show so I think oh, they sure. would yeah. recognize that. Yeah. Anywhere they can cut a corner and, and save money, sure. they'll do that. So you saw reuse of many of those ships throughout TNG, Reliant and the Excelsior and renamed yes. as other ships. And yeah, the kit bashes, Noble right? And, and Hood and yeah. Yep, absolutely. So how are these ships still alive, you know, or in existence <laughs> 80 years later yeah. after they were built? But, you know, budget. Yes. That's right. Budget, I suppose. Yeah. But it, it is good. And in some ways, it makes you think, well, a ship that was flying around in, I can't remember the battle, the end of the Deep Space Nine run, you know, those mm-hmm. ships must be. 80 years old and are you telling me they haven't got a story behind them (laughs) pressed Mm -hmm. back into service or you know that's the story they want you to kind of think about but they they want you to notice that stuff well and as trek fans especially those that like the ships we do think of those things right i mean there are probably other fans that you know couldn't care less about one Mm -hmm. or the other but uh one of the things that i i hope to see more of in picard i know lower decks is kind of doing it but like i'd like to see more starfleet ships and Picard, like, what is the the, the whole Zhang He mm. thing? I mean, not to knock it, but I was like, really, guys? Like, come on, throw us a, b- a bigger bone than this. Um, yeah. Hopefully, we'll see that. But I understand, you know, all of the the reasons why that happened. But I just hope to see a you know a treat here and there in the next season.
season or seasons that we get. It would be nice to see something else to build, right? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. My fingers are crossed. And, you know, because the the ships are sort of characters as well, I think, you know, it's it's nice to have, I mean, you know, the the complete nerd of me thinks, well, you know, if every ship is the same, it makes things easier and, you know, you can replicate parts and you can build them all and crank them out faster and that makes sense. But if everyone was the same, it would be boring, wouldn't it? I think it's also just keep coming back to, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, So here's a question for you. So, Bill, tell me, I think your models are sort of, we have a sort of a 10-year window of, I think it's it's just running up to or just after the uh, motion picture films. But is is there um, an area of Trek history that both of you would like to see more ships of? Just just to start you off, I, I, I quite like the period, the, the early, almost pre-NX01 era, mm-hmm. and then sort of after that, running up to, well, I guess, Discovery. But there's sort of like there's two sort of 30, 40-year blocks of time right. where, you know, like you, you know things are moving at pace and you go, from, you know, like from the Ford motor car up to the Thunderbird, up to the McLaren mm-hmm. F1, you know, so the progression of, exactly. of technology. Yeah, those are the windows that, I, that are in, they're interesting to me that, that, that have not been explored. Like you mm. mentioned NX1, uh, NX01 and uh, what ships would have been between that and the original Enterprise. There's like yeah. a 100-year gap. And then there's gaps between, you know, the Enterprise B and the Enterprise C and the Enterprise C and Enterprise D. There's just, you know, decades of ships that can be designed. So you look at those design cues from these ships from various eras and know that there's many years between them. So you can take cues from both of those other eras as bookends and build something in the middle. Yeah. So you can steal from other designs and build something unique that fits in an era that has been explored yet. So there's a lot of room for creativity in, mm. in Star Trek. We've got, you know, decades and or centuries of uh, yeah. stuff that has been looked at. And uh, yeah, I'd love to see something be than before in X01. I don't know what that would look like, but I keep picturing like a Daedalus kind of thing with the ball and, you know, mm. cylinders. But could there be something more than just that? Yeah, I think so. I'd like to, you know... Just... It's like one or the other. There should be something to be a blend of uh, yeah. This isn't a ball, or just isn't a saucer. I mean, there has to be some other shapes that you can explore. And but at the same time, I do want to get too far away. People, people, people saying, "Well, that's not Star Trek, or that that doesn't look like Star Trek." So, is it always two cylinders as engines and a saucer as makes a Star Trek, or can do can you do something else with that? And change the shape of one well, of those things. Discovery has really, and now the what is it, the 31st century or 29th or wherever they're at, way in the future. Their their new designs are complete departures. I mean, oh, sure. it's astounding. I mean, I've seen those. Right, mm-hmm. it makes sense, right? I think if I were to think about a an era that I'd love to see more, and over the years um, through, what is it, sci-fi art or something like that, they, we've seen like sort of smatterings of it, but like the era between Excelsior, Ambassador, and even in there between Galaxy, mm-hmm. that's just like really the only representation we have from that is the holdovers of Miranda, Oberth, and, and um, Excelsior. And then of course, you know, we see the Ambassador, but that's really it. Like, so, mm-hmm. That's an era for me because in TNG they did pull some of those uh, in the best of both worlds that uh, the, the graveyard scene before they were all ripped apart. There were a lot of ships that were put together, but they seemed far closer to like the galaxy design. Obviously, they were reusing you know bits and pieces, but um, the ambassador class era, that whole period to me between Enterprise B and Enterprise C, that just seems wide open i I don't you see you know a few things here and there there's like a miranda-esque like version of the ambassador that i think i want to say it's apollo class or at least it's gone by that before but though that's that is an era to me that is is just free like you can pick and choose them and and make whatever you'd like out of it i think Uh, cool stuff there for sure 
And you see the return, too, in that era of the, the glowing bassards uh, yeah. following the Enterprise B, because in that period between the motion picture and Enterprise B, you've got these Art Deco-looking, streamlined fish <laughs> with yeah. with side grills. And then um, you know, prior to that, we had glowing end caps of the, the, the classic you know, 1701 and so forth. But there's a period of the motion picture era where there were these linear-looking engines. And then after that, we get back in the glowing end caps and more of a classic-looking bassard with blue glowing grills, and it's from anywhere, from the Enterprise see onward so there was this period where there was this design you know angle and think of, of the story think of the story behind it and one of my favorite explanations around the size of the nacelles on an ambassador class is that they were trying to indicate that they were like experimental almost so they were really really big purposefully because of it so it's like Hmm. What's the story behind that what made the departure from and even if you think about the failed transwarp uh, mm-hmm. sort of experiment of an excelsior class ship the engines look physically the same, the nacelles, you got to figure something else changed. But what was the departure from that then to, to your point, like the return of the glowing, you know, nacelles and Bussard collectors. Right. And then if you mm-hmm. look at the MSDs behind, I, I've at least seen it for the Oberth class, behind sort of that, you know, kind of covered nacelle where normally you'd see the glowing uh, Bussard collectors, they do have them in there. So it's like, why are they covered? Like, is that mm. was that some idea at some point that took over? But anyway, totally geeking out about it now. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it's good to geek, it's good to have people to geek out with. You know, the fact that we sure. all thought about it and probably never spoken it out loud. Um, <clears throat> no, because I mean, you could argue that you know the original TOS Enterprise had glowing facades, and they were removed, and you know, much th- thinner, you know, thinner, sleeker to me suggests sort of you know it's more efficient and that sort of stuff. Then I. Th- I, th- I I can't remember, if to correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in the generations, the Enterprise B had the, the top of the nacelles were glowing, I think, if I remember, with the blue. But then after that, they sort of reverted back to the to the, the red facades at the front. But does that mean that the Constitution and Excelsior class were a failure, you could argue? Because, you know, as the sort of technology evolves, it's generally smaller, more compact, more streamlined. You can worry about the shape more as opposed to, you know, just think of cars today versus 100 years ago sort of thing. Um mm-hmm. You know, it's lots of interesting things to think about. What did you guys think of the changes that they made to the Excelsior class with the Enterprise B, which we, of course, then saw many years later as a highly advanced, formidable ship against the Defiant, no less, as the Lakota. But what did you guys think of, of those design changes? Were you were you satisfied with them, let down? What did you think? And have you guys ever built that particular kit out of curiosity? I think Johnny's had... Uh, design those changes to make them make it easier for them to add that, those to the model by just gluing these plant-on things to the hull to make it look a little different without having to redesign the whole new whole new model. So I yeah. think he was kind of forced into the, into making something that was easily added to and damaged, if you remember too. Right, right? so they can damage it without. Yeah, I think it was from what I remember. Yes, yeah, so to to add a layer of buffer so that they could damage the model, but then right. remove. I think it was the plan was to remove the bits, especially on the secondary hull. But I think I'm, I'm sure this can't be wrong but um mm-hmm. some, right. you know, they, they used the wrong glue and they couldn't get them off couldn't get off it's not a bad addition i mean i think it, it, it flows to the hole it's not you know ideal but it, you know, it doesn't it's not bad yeah i don't think it's bad i think you know i think if it was it was we need a new enterprise you know if it mm-hmm. was an excelsior we've already seen that it's not right new new you know it's the enterprise um, be on a budget because that was what they yeah. had to work with them. <laughs> You know, for budget, that's great. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Enterprise D, I can't remember my years now, yeah, the Enterprise D we've seen for years, you know, so people are used to, you know, it, it, I think it's just we need a new ship, sort of. Mm-hmm. Clean up that they did to it, though, for 
generations, I was just like, I, I remember being in the theater just thinking, oh my God, I don't think it's ever looked better. Only to see it destroyed at the end. I was like, oh no. So, but yeah. yeah. Now, so the, the, have you guys ever built the Enterprise B kit? I've built a, um, a resin Starcraft one. Yes. Okay. It's a Dakota. Um, right. So it is the one from the Defiant. Um, yeah, it's a great kit. It's looking at it now. It's um, yeah, it's it's really nice. I think you know, it's it's like resin kits. It's sort of some it's a bit more challenging in certain ways. Um, it's one of the reasons I did get it is because it's it's when you've got the Enterprise D kit, you can't really tell how big it is. The scales to are others. the same for the Starcraft yeah, kit with the so Enterprise. So it's the same scale. Yeah, so yeah, that's, right. that's quite good. So back to our point at the start, you know, if you were on you know USS Fred, you'd be pulling up alongside the Enterprise in you know the Federation car park and go, "Cool, that's a big one." <laughs> <laughs> so that's no, it's quite nice. But yeah, I think if you haven't built a Jeff, definitely put that one on the list. I think Not recommended. It's a good addition. But have you ever had? Have you ever had? And this is a question to both of you because I, we probably could answer this if it, if there were a rapid fire right around like what was your what was the easiest one you did? What was your favorite one? What was the one that you almost lost your mind on? because you did start to kind of like lose yourself in the details i mean for me the easiest answer is the the sovereign and class that i did and again because that one also came with the pnt additional all these hatches and everything and then i started looking at the studio model and it indeed does have a lot of little sort of things added to it um the same thing hatches and sensor pads and all this stuff and i'm telling you by the time i was finished with that model i thought oh my gosh the next one i do has has got to be so easy because mm-hmm. I need like I just need something to, to kind of ease off of this and I ended up doing I think it was like the one 1000 Oberth which is like this big mm-hmm. but I'll tell you just because they're small does not mean they're easy I was again I'm like right, wait there's supposed tool. to be an airlock here and and there are no decals for it so but wait I have an extra one over here so I think that you know I, I agree with you James when I'm finished and I, I look at it in my room or in the office or whatever I'm like gosh I don't even see what I was freaking out about like right now right yeah all that all that pain seems to vanish once it's finished it's like where was all this anguish when i was making it so um yeah i, I think there probably isn't an easy model that i've ever made because i think as a challenge I, I make it harder on myself if if it's going too easy i find something right. to make it more difficult because it's it can't be this easy but you know obviously painting a tos airship is much easier than painting any kind of motion picture era where you have Aztecs yeah. and uh, having to mask all that off and, and paint it in various shades. And then I had a client who asked to do uh, the bell nap in the motion picture, five pearl, five shade pearl, pearlescent oh, colors. You. And that was, uh, you know, a two month process. And I will not do that again <laughs> too soon. People ask too, like, how long did that take? And I'm thinking, yeah, too long. If there's paint involved, it, it it needs to dry. You can't just then start going onto the next thing and you have to give it a chance. But anyway, yeah. James, sorry, I think I, I interrupted you. No, no, just, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I've had, you know, issues over the years of, you know, paint pulling up and different primers and paint not oh, yeah. sticking. Mm-hmm. And so those, those can be, it's, it's probably more challenging and frustrating than, you know, downright annoying. I think, I think one of the, the things that does irritate me sometimes is sort of like a, on a, um, a galaxy class is sort of the, the lifeboats they sort of you know, it's, it's it's the monotonous rinse and repeat sort of exercise that i i don't particularly like about 
model making. I think that sort of can put me off. But um, you know, I, I like when it's sort of not quite finished, but it's you've broken the back of it stage. You know, sort of you're just sort of going around with a little brush and think, oh, you know, I missed that bit and I missed that bit. And you know, damn well, no one's ever going to notice. Mm. <laughs> and it's not to make it perfect. It's just a sort of you know sense of achievement. And, and, and you know, I've sure. I've done done my best. From you know, I'm, I'm happy to show show my mum. You know, that sort of level right. of, of level of interest. I think it's um. I mean, you know, you know, if, you, if you don't do it, you know, it'll nag you. So you, yeah, you do it because exactly. you write it popped up in your mind. You got to make that check mark. Right. Well, it's been absolutely brilliant chatting with you both. I think um, I can safely say I think we, we, we must do this again sometime. Oh, definitely. I love it. Uh, absolutely right. Count me in for sure. This is my favorite topic. <laughs> I'm just so glad that I was asked to do this. It's, it's been too, a whirlwind. And in less than a week, I had, you know, the, the one uh, piece that was just sort of uh, James, I think you you popped it up on your Instagram, and I know you've got far more followers than I do about this. And then you know got the message here, and it was join a podcast about this. I'm like, all right, all right, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, this has been great fun, mm-hmm. and Fantastic. it's been great meeting both of you face to face, James. I know we've chatted with Bill as well. I, you as well, and you. long time admirer. So it's been a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Huge fan, absolutely amazing. I'm just uh, honestly, I just I, I quite literally don't know how you do it, Bill. I think. Oh, I don't either. <laughs> I wish. I I can share more on uh, what I'm doing, but uh, it's you know you'll see more of it next year. Hopefully, more to come. Exciting, more to come, awesome, yeah. fantastic, very cool, wonderful. We'll be back. We'll be back for it. All right, thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks very much. For this week's All Hands on Deck Drill, we returned to one of our favorites, which is a Trek spin on the Shag, Marry, or Kill game a lot of us played as teenagers with our friends. Now, for the first time ever, instead of ships, we gave the community access to three famous stations from Star Trek history and asked which they would joyride, also known as have fun in, which they'd command, and which they'd self-destruct. They were Deep Space Nine, Earth Space Dock, and Deep Space Station K7. All right, so we're going to get into the responses in just a moment. But as a reminder, all hands on deck drills. So we have six of them, and they rotate. So we're now back to the very first one we ever did, (laughs) which is this one. And it's so fun to see the responses. (laughs) And um, this might not come as a shock to many, because 90% of the responses all had this exact same combo. And it was to (laughs) joyride Deep Space Nine, command Earth Space Dock, and self-destruct. Deep Space Station K7. I mean, I'm kind of of the same opinion. I think it would be very interesting to also command Deep Space Nine and possibly Joyride East Earth Space Dock. Sorry, my inner STO player wants to say ESD. <laughs> no, um, do it, ESD. <laughs> um, I feel like we we actually saw in the show Deep Space Nine has a warp core and it can move. We can probably assume the same with Earth Space Dock and K7, but, you know, we saw it in the show we want to do it too. It happened. It happened. Yeah. We want to exactly. do it. Exactly. It happened up on screen. And uh, <laughs> yeah, we actually saw that in a lot of the responses that for that exact reason, they knew they could move Deep Space Nine. So they would take it on a joyride. Quite a few mentions of taking it right through the wormhole. Um, so uh, yeah, um, it was, wasn't surprising at all. Now for Earth Space Talk and Deep Space Nine for the other submissions, you know, if 90% all gave that one combo, 9.9 more percent 
gave you know something that either flip flop between command and joyride of Earth space dock and DS9, <laughs> and only a few said they would not self destruct K7. The vast majority said that that was going to go up in smithereens with a lot of comments about tribbles. Yes, I'm sure after that tribble incident, <laughs> were they ever truly able to eradicate the tribble infestation? Never. No, absolutely not. Well, <laughs> maybe they can beam it off now. But um, yeah, now we were almost done counting. And I thought, wow, no one said they were going to self-destruct DS9. And we literally came to the last count on Twitter. And there were dozens of responses over Instagram and Twitter. And the last one said they were going to self-destruct Deep Space Nine. <gasps> now, they said they weren't going to command K7. They were going to joyride it and that they were going to command Earth Space Dock. So they were going to self-destruct Deep Space Nine. The only one, yeah. They are a brave person. I don't agree with them one bit, but, you know, <laughs> kudos to your bravery. I mean, maybe they just want to see what Deep Space Nine looked destroyed, but sure, we've got plenty of episodes about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's That was a fun one. And, uh, yeah, I love every time this all-hands-on-deck segment rotates around. So great job, community. <laughs> Well, remember, if you want to participate in our weekly all-hands-on-deck drills, they get posted on Twitter towards the end of each week. Well, if you can believe it or not, we're at the end of another episode, Alex. Wow, I that flew by, and I can't believe it. They always do, I know. I can't believe it either. I, I think the roundtable format is really spot on. I think it's wonderful to be able to hear, you know, experts talk to other experts yeah. and totally geek out. It's so much fun. Such great energy. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely going to rotate between having, you know, individual guests on and the roundtable. So do keep an eye out. And if you've got suggestions for the show, don't forget, you can always get in touch with us because hailing frequencies are always open. You can send us an email or go to shiptalkingpod.com to transmit a message. And while you're there, you can check out our merch. You can get a link to Patreon. And of course, we really appreciate everyone's support. We really do. And there are some great benefits in return for your support as well. There sure are. And if you want to get in touch with us the old fashioned way, you can send us an email to hello at shiptalkingpod.com. We reply to all the emails we get. And of course, if you're on Twitter, shoot us a message there because we'd love to chat with you. And of course, the best way to support us is to tell your Trekkie and Trekker friends about the show and leave us a review on any of the pod platforms where you listen. I love reading our reviews and whether it's constructive or positive, leave it because we want to get better. And if we're doing something good, we want to keep doing it. Yes. And of course, a huge thank you to James, our community manager and George, our audio engineer for all the epicness that they do for the pod. We could not do anything we do without the entire team. So thank you to you all. I'd also like to thank our listeners, community, and once again, our supporters on Patreon. We wouldn't be doing this if you guys weren't around. So thank you so much. That is so true. We really appreciate it. It brings us a lot of joy to be able to do this. And of course, it's nice to know there's a few of you out there that enjoy it as well. Until we get to see you on the next episode, enjoy all of our other content in the meantime, and we'll see you then. Cheers. Live long and prosper. So tell me, why do you think they had so many pens and pencils on DS9? Because they were stationary!
I even gave myself a laugh track there because I'm actually quite proud of that joke for once. <laughs>